Put your attention on the conversations you're having. Put your attention on getting better at your craft. If you're brand new at this, you might suck. You may not have any experience on the microphone, and it takes time to find your confidence. Once you find your confidence, oh boy, you could be unstoppable. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the brilliant Jason Sircone. Jason Sircone is a personal brand architect, creator, and podcaster. He helps entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals leverage the brand building power of the podcast medium to establish authority, increase visibility, and accelerate personal brand growth. He also hosts Evolution of Brand, a podcast featuring authentic entrepreneurs and professionals sharing inspirational stories and tactical brand building strategies to help you succeed in your professional pursuits. Jason, my dear, we just met, but we have had a rollicking pre-chat through football, fantasy football, the entire HBO extended catalog. Italian-Americans, the douchebag known as Christopher Columbus. But before we get into any of that and our pop culture topic, which I have been waiting for for two freaking years, I got to ask you the most important question of the day, which is what do small business owners need to focus on this week? Well, before I answer that, I am going to say it is a damn shame that the world is going to be deprived of everything we covered before we pressed the record (laughs) button for this conversation. Because there was so much good stuff in there. Small businesses today and every day going forward need to be focused on what they can control. I think we, we, we often get ourselves into this mindset that we can conquer the world at every juncture and we're going to make all these great things happen. And when we start moving away from the very simple, just the methodical efforts that we make to get a little bit better at what we do each and every day. We start to lose focus on the things we can control. Now, I'm in the podcast space 24 7, 365. And a big thing that podcasters get consumed with is their download metrics. How many downloads did I get this week? Is this episode good enough? Oh, I didn't get enough downloads this week. This isn't a good episode. I must be terrible at this. And it's the complete wrong way to look at it. All you can control in that space is the quality of your content and how consistently you bring it to your audience. So focus on the things you can control. If you can take that small lesson from the podcast world and translate it over to anything you're doing with your small business, you're going to have a lot more fun doing it and you're going to make it a lot further in regards to your results. Heck yes. And a huge amount of what we can control is how stuff is received. Yes. In myriad ways, how stuff is received statistically, how stuff is received emotionally, 
how stuff converts, right? All of that is an experiment anyway. We're out here. Hello, professional copywriter, former professional copywriter here. It's all an experiment, y'all. We're using best practices to see what sticks so we can polish what sticks. That's why we always have to keep reiterating, keep repolishing, right? But if we never put it out there in the first place because of shit we can't control, then we can't control. I love that. I mean, I love that this is happening uh, this week that you and I are having this conversation today because I've been super sick this week. So there are things that normally feel not necessarily fully within my control, but more control adjacent when I'm at my best than right now. I can't control my puking schedule. I'm sick. I wish I could, but I can't. Yeah. You know, I might get a little gaggy in this episode, but what I can control is not letting you see me puke and then making sure that my beautiful editor, Andrew, cuts the puking out should I make any pukey noises, right? Like I can control exactly what you said, which is how this episode comes out. What I can't control is how I'm going to feel every single second of it. Did you eat a black and white cookie? No. I did not eat a black and white cookie, but we are getting into the Seinfeld already. <laughs> I also did not eat a chocolate babka. <laughs> you sold me a hair with a cake around it. No, I just, you know, but I, I think that that's so major because we think about every single step of the delivery of something and every single expected action of that delivery, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to get derailed by this, 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 and this. Everything will go off as if by magic. My post will go out. The algorithm will adore it. Everyone will love it. And I'll make $10,000 by the end of the day. And then the second a variable enters where we have less control or no control, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why aren't we taking concerted, dedicated, focused action in the areas where we have control? I love that. No, 100%. And that's, you know, you think about that with what you just said with throwing the the babies out with the bathwater. Average number of episodes that a podcaster gets to before they quit is like seven, seven or eight. Yep. And it's because, I mean, there's probably a number of factors in play, but I think a, a lot of folks will get upset, derailed, whatever you want to assign to it, that, that they're just not getting enough listeners to make it worth their time. But anybody that's building an audience will tell you it takes consistency, it takes quality content, you, and you have to just keep pushing forward and ignore metrics and just, again, focus on what you can control, quality and consistency. Yes, 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 yes. And if sometimes something forces you out of consistency, or if sometimes something forces you slightly out of quality, it's not the end of the world. You're still graded on the average, right? So like I get into this mentality of consistency where I'll be like, absolutely freaking amazing at sending my newsletter out at exactly two o'clock on exactly Wednesday. And then I'll send it out at five o'clock on a Wednesday and I'll be like, I'm inconsistent. It's over. It's like, okay, that's a minor inconsistency. It's still Wednesday. It still happened. Right. So, so I think there's also the need for a little bit of flexibility and consistency in that your consistency isn't pass fail. It's okay if sometimes your consistency is approximate as long as it's still consistent. Don't turn it into perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Keep it. Did I do this pass fail? Yes. 
did I approximate this pass fail? Yes, right? So it's 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 different. And then quality, you know, sometimes you're going to put out something that is not your best, but could still blow the mind of somebody else. We don't know that, right? So right. you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. There are some episodes that don't feel particularly resonant to me. And those are the ones I get the email on where they're like, oh, my God. I am so grateful that you and so and so took the time to talk about blah 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 because that's been up on my mind at three o'clock in the morning for the last week every day. And I'm like, oh, cool. I put it out. But it's still like that that beacon, that double beacon I love of quality and consistency. Those are our two striving points. If we can strive for those two things, we will be way, 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 way further ahead and feel like we have more control on other things because we're exerting control where we have it. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. So one of the things that's really tough for me on this thing and the idea of, of stuff that we can or cannot control, I have a really big problem with expectations and not expectations of others. I think therapy has kind of talked me out of that. And yet when I'm hungry for control or I'm searching for control, one of the ways that I validate or invalidate my current feeling of control is through expectations. And I think for me, that's where I see, you know, with the pod fade or the seven episodes or this or that is because it's really hard to level set expectations on something like podcasting. Because what's the average download for the eighth episode of a podcast? That number does not exist. Well, it it exists, but it's nothing you're going to be happy with. That's why I, if I'm talking to a brand new podcaster that's super jazzed about getting into podcasting and they're ready to do this, I try to keep their attention there and I will tell them, do not look at your metrics for six months. I want you to keep this mentality that you have right now in this conversation because that's going to keep you passionate about this project. It's going to push you forward as you create more content because you have to get the snowball rolling downhill. And if you go and look at your metrics after your fourth episode, there's nothing in those numbers that's going to tell you anything important that will make you feel good. No. And when you start with this project, more than likely hitting a metric wasn't one of your driving forces. Right. So do not put your attention there. Put your attention on the conversations you're having, put your attention on getting better at your craft. If you're brand new at this, you might suck. Yeah. You may not have any experience on the microphone and it takes time to find your confidence. Yeah. Once you find your confidence, Oh boy, you could be unstoppable. Then nobody can shut you up. My God. Exactly. Exactly. But it takes time to get there. And the more comfortable you get on the microphone, the more comfortable you get with your subject matter, and the more comfortable you get having these conversations with epic guests and, and just letting these organic conversations unfold, that's going to create that quality content that you need. Nothing in those metrics is going to help you with that. So don't look at them right out of the gates thinking the world is coming to listen to your podcast because it takes much longer than seven or eight episodes yeah. to really gain that traction. Well, even then, and there's too many freaking variables. Right. Absolutely like, right. Okay. I have a good download day. I can explain that 97,000 different ways, or I could shoot holes in that 97,000 different ways. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably be correct, but I won't know which one of those 97,000 is correct because it's not provable. 
I can't right. be like, oh, yeah, yesterday's newsletter did so much better because I put a question mark and an exclamation point in it. OK, good theory, Annie. But you're a marketing strategist and you cannot prove that. Right. Sorry, not provable. No, no. And, and again, we think about to go to the download metric again. I think that what we lose sight of is, you know, we've created this catalog of content. At least that's what we're creating as we go. The more episodes we add to that catalog, the more opportunities we have for somebody to stumble upon our show, fall in love with it, and then go start binging everything they haven't heard yet. But we have this fresh, polished hope diamond that we're putting mm -hmm. out this week. And mm -hmm. everybody is going to love this episode. <laughs> and this is going to be so great. And we're going to promote the shit out of it. And everybody is going to love, love, love what we're doing. And then two days later, that's history. Now that's old news. I got to put all my attention on next week's episode. Got to get a new hope diamond. Yeah, new exactly. And it's diamond. just like, you, you, so like next week, was this the episode you just produced the week before not as valuable? Yeah. Unfortunately, some people think that way and their yeah. attention is only on what this week does. It could know like you're creating this catalog of, of episodes that people can find at any point and listen yes. in any order. That's the beauty of on-demand content. They can yes. find you. You could be on episode 212, but they find episode 31 through some random search and they go, holy shit, this is great. Now they keep listening to everything else and then they caught up and now you're getting all these downloads for episodes and it's contributing to the entire growth of your catalog. See, there's a reframe right there. Any individual piece or for podcasters, any individual episode is not your hope diamond. Your catalog yes. is your hope diamond. Mm hmm. Right. It's it's not even about the hope diamond. It's the freaking it's the crown jewels. We got a buffet, baby. But we have a buffet of, again, consistently offered yep. quality things. And we're not just talking about podcasting, y'all. People that don't want to be podcasters, number one, why don't you want to be a podcaster? We should talk. Number two, though, on, on all of this, like, if you're a blogger, it's consistent and quality blogging. If you're an author, it's consistent quality writing. If you're a video maker, it's consistent quality TikToks. I don't care what it is. Consistent quality tweets are better than nothing, y'all. So it, whatever the output is, is up to you. But no matter what, that consistency and that quality is building a body of work, not just one individual piece. And I think that that's so yes. important that you brought that because when I bring a level of preciousness to any individual piece of my work, I'm almost always let down by the reception. Yeah. Almost always. Right. Can't so like, if the hype, right. Right, can't live up to the hype. We were okay. Hold on. One of the things that we were talking about, and this is not a Sopranos episode, but we will be having a Sopranos <laughs> panel, is we were talking in our epic pre-chat about how the new Sopranos prequel movie could not possibly live up to its hype, even though it had good features. It couldn't possibly live up to its hype. Don't do that to your own brand. Don't tell people ahead of time, yes. this is the single most important thing I've ever written. Number one, that's not for you to decide because that's in the right. eye of the beholder. Number right. two, don't overhype yourself, y'all. <laughs> why, why are we putting expectations that, that no one else is measuring? Well, I think a big part of it, and this may not even be something that's intentional in what we may be thinking about, but it's 
we want viral content, right? We want something to click. And I think we sometimes fall into that trap of trying to manufacture that. Yeah. What can we do today that's going to go viral? You can't (laughs) answer that question. Nobody can. All you could do is just keep putting good content into the world. And when the right people see it, that's what makes it go viral because they start sharing it with others that they know will enjoy it. Me and my buddies have a a text thread. We're always sharing random crap with each other all the time (laughs) because we know all four of us are going to laugh our ass off and we all enjoy this piece of content together. And I know we're not the only ones that do that type of thing. God bless a group text. Right? Oh, no. But, but yeah, that's, but that's the mentality. But you know, when you find something you love, we are in share mentality. We also can't control what that is for other right. people. We can only continue to appreciate and curate the stuff that we enjoy ourselves. Exactly. Exactly <sighs> right. Ugh. Ugh. I just love this. Let's talk about hype. All right. Let's do um, that. I just had this idea. That I'm like, what can you do that is guaranteed to go viral? I'm like, get COVID, breathe on someone. Yeah. Guaranteed <laughs> to go viral. That's about it. In terms of in terms of content, though, you know, it's it's not that it's not that simple because I had a talk on a a couple of episodes ago about how so much of right now is like take this trending TikTok sound. And then do your unique thing to this trending TikTok sound. It's like, okay, that has a higher probability of going viral because you're co-opting into something, but you're co-opting into a larger trend, which robs it of that body of work feel. It robs you of your uniqueness. So even if you get 20,000 views, you're getting 20,000 views as part of a mashup. You're not getting 20,000 subscribers Mm -hmm. because you're not really fully contributing in that way. It's not necessarily quality content, even if you do go viral. So how do we, on this path to consistency and quality, how do we try to disengage from hype? Or, you know, you were talking about how you tell your clients not to look at their metrics for six months. For me, that would feel a lot like not texting a toxic ex. Like, I'd be like, I'm not going to look at it. 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 Oh, fuck, I looked at it. Right? But how do we focus on creation and not on expectation of of praise validation i'm gonna go very gary v with this answer okay for what it is but it you gotta love the process you gotta enjoy what you're doing you don't enjoy what you're doing that's the thing i'll take my life as an example i friggin love podcasting i have just recently started to get into doing more reels for instagram And I've gone a number of different ways trying to figure out what I wanted to do with Instagram. And it's night and day. You talk podcasting, love making reels, uh -uh. (laughs) not my jam. Making reels, giving myself a root canal, same part. This was the, the, the pit that I was falling into because I'm, I get probably too analytical than I need to when I really want to attack something because I want to learn What's making this so popular? Why are people into this? And I'm watching some of the dumbest shit as I go through this re- these real feeds. And I'm like, this is not what I want to be doing. To me, this isn't quality. Like, no. I, I don't get the pointing at the bubbles and the dancing. And that's oh, if that's God. your jam, that's your oh, jam. But 
that is, I'm like, I am not going to like, they say, Oh, you got to go outside of your comfort zone. I'm like, okay, fine. But that, that isn't even in a comfort zone or outside of a comfort zone. That's just so beyond my personality that I need to get clarity on how I can make this work. And I have a friend who had, he had transitioned into being a content coach. He grew his following like tremendous. And highly, his name's Travis Brown at Travis Brown on Instagram. Go follow him. His content's incredible. Hi, Travis. He's the man. Come be on the show, Travis. <laughs> but he, he grew his following from like 2,500 followers to over a hundred thousand in eight or nine weeks. Holy shit. He killed it. And it was one of those things. He even got, you know, got accused of buying followers and things like that. And him and I knew he would never do that because him and I had talked about these types. Like we don't do stupid shortcuts like that because they never work. It never works. And it screws your metrics for a whole year. How are you going to start tracking growth when you stop buying leads? You're going to be like at 99% down every single month. Don't do that to yourself. I just said, you know, what, 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 what I need to do to get a coaching session with you? I just want to get some clarity on this. And he said, listen, you're a buddy. I, I just let's get on a call. And we did. And we, and we talked through some things and he made me see some things that I wasn't necessarily looking at. And it's all about how you adapt your content and how, and how you, and what you're presenting to the world. You don't have to do what Instagram and TikTok is telling you as a trend to get your content over because he wasn't doing that. He was doing his thing and he knew once things started to pick up steam and momentum that he was on the right track. So he just doubled down on those types of videos. And that's yes. a big thing that a lot of us forget. You know, you hit gold and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what kind of gold's over there? I'm going to go take a, I'm going to do a completely different method and try to strike gold again. Yeah. Instead of just saying, let's just keep plowing into the ground here and find more gold right where we're at. We're making another hope diamond instead yes. of just adding to the hope freaking diamond. Exactly. I mean, we see this all the time in restaurants. Restaurants do one thing gorgeously. And then they overinflate their menu and they lose the magic, which is why I'm guaranteeing some of your favorite restaurants have small menus of things they're famous for. And that's just mm -hmm. what they do. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those paralysis by analysis things. If you yep. give people too many options, that's why, you know, I, you know, we're going in and out here with some of the things that I do with podcasting. And one of the things I'm starting to do with reels in regards to the personal branding side of things. But when people are a podcast guest, and they start firing off 25 places for the listeners to go when the show ends and they're just naming every Instagram or every social media platform they're a part of and their ICQ handle gets thrown out there, AOL Instant Messenger and <laughs> find me on Friendster, like all these places to go. <laughs> like people listening, they're at the gym, they're on a walk, they're driving their car. So they're not going to commit all of these destinations to memory. So you have to give them something that not only is easy to remember, but it serves you and allows people to come check out what you do. And you can control the narrative when you do that. Send them to your website. Don't send them to a social media platform. Let it start there. And you can give them a freebie. You can have a quick conversation right on your site. Like, you know, I, I'll, I'll give my address when we get, when we wrap up today and it's one destination and you can choose your own adventure from there. But so many people try to, point people everywhere because everywhere is important but right too many options means people do nothing and they no, get paralyzed exactly. it's the cereal aisle right that's the thing that we always yes. talk about when we talk about buyer's paralysis mm -hmm. especially if i'm doing something new or scary i don't need added resistance i don't want to go mm -hmm. in 
to buy cereal for my godson, not knowing what he likes and just know that he likes sugary cereal that I didn't get to eat as a kid and be like, what the hell am I going to buy? There's two aisles of cereal. Don't do that with your calls to action. Give me one thing. At least let me know. Okay. He really likes chocolate cereals. Brands don't matter. Okay, cool. Then I'm just going to grab the one with the box I like because I have permission to do that. Right. But without any direction, From you, a wide open landscape is not what we want. It's the same reason why I tell people not to put too many exit ramps, meaning calls to action, on their landing pages or sales pages. We want them to take an action. We cannot distract them with too many options from taking that action. They don't get around to it. They get around to going and doing the other things. So like, I don't put links to my podcast on my sales pages. I put buy buttons on my sales pages. That's perfect. And that's something that I, I caught myself because what I, what I try to do is, and, and I'm, I'm still, now I'm going back and forth on how I'm doing this, but each podcast guest appearance that I would make, I would create an individual landing page and then I would send everybody to Anybody I'm talking to on that podcast, if you want to learn more from me or pick up what I'm giving away, come over to my pod or my website.com slash. And then the name of the podcast is how I would build those landing pages. And I was in this mode of talking about calls to action and saying, when you're a guest and you try to give more than one call to action, you're really missing an opportunity to get people to come over into your world and, and continue to get value from you. And then I went and looked at my landing page and I'm like, Jesus, I've given them the buffet they can (laughs) opt in here they can watch this video they can go here and watch social media they can connect to my podcast i'm like i'm doing what i'm saying not to do i'm just doing it in written form so i I, so i had to i I just self-corrected and realized that i'm like i gotta be consistent with my message here so you opt in here get my giveaway get something fun get something that's going to give you a little bit of knowledge if you want to build your personal brand as a podcaster or as a podcast guest And now you're on my page. You can take advantage of all the free stuff I've got. You can check out my podcasts if you want to and, you know, choose your own adventure, like I said. But that page is dedicated to giving you the message that I want to relay and then the the product that I want to send your way. Bring me a dessert menu when I've already had good dinner. Yeah. Right. I don't need to think about whether I want the flourless chocolate cake or the tiramisu before I've even had my bread. Okay, (laughs) like I don't. Clearly, I'm hungry. I I don't know. I hang out with other Italians, and I just immediately get hungry. I yeah, don't we know. should I have brought some pasta. I think into this it's genetic, right? I mean, right? Okay. <laughs> well, when, when I come to Pittsburgh or when you come to Chicago, we'll go out for good pasta. But even oh, then, right like that right there is a perfect analogy in that you know you brought up the buffet buffets, with the exception of Las Vegas, are not really known for broad quality they're known for variety Uh they're known for diversity but they're Mm -hmm. not really known for high quality whereas you know there's two kinds of rest there's two kinds of italian restaurants there's the italian restaurants that have every single kind of pasta and every single kind of pizza and every single kind of everything and ninety-seven thousand kinds of calzones and i see that and i'm like cool I have my choice of whatever I want here and I expect it to be like a B plus food. But if somebody takes me to an Italian restaurant where there's literally three things on the menu, then I know that those three things are going to be freaking grandma, old country, fabulous. Exactly. Because I'm being told what to pick. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't want to be pushy. 
And so we feel like we're robbing people of choice when we're more deliberate with guiding them through actions. But I see it actually as doing them a favor by giving you more clear actions and fewer choices. I'm making Mm -hmm. your meal more pleasurable than if I bring you a gigantic menu when you're starving and say, what sounds good? Well, what sounds good to an Italian at an Italian restaurant when you're starving and knowing me a little bit high is everything. Okay. It's everything. (laughs) Amen to that. Don't do that to yourself. I learned a lesson a while back and it was, it was pointed out to me that I was offering too many things and it made me, because I'm sitting there stressing about all these things that I have to do. Like what if, you know, the worst case scenario is what if I end up getting a client for every single one of these things? Oh, God. I got to do every single one of these things. Oh, God. And just, right. And that just made I was like, well, instead of trying to serve all the masters, why not just specialize in one thing? Why not be a scalpel? The scalpel has one specific purpose in yes. the operating room. The Swiss Army knife can do a ton of different things. And yes, it has that purpose in the world, but it's on a human being stressful as hell. To try to figure out the best direction to go. So find the specialty in your world and find the thing that you're most passionate about. What do you love to do? For me, podcasting was it. And I'm looking at the social media side as a great way to, I mean, I'm having fun with the process. And that was the thing I knew is like, oh, if I'm going to do this with doing more reels and getting into this world, I've got to enjoy the process. So I'm going to make videos that make me enjoy the process at the same time, serve a purpose. But I'm not trying to do videos on TikTok, videos on Instagram, videos over here, LinkedIn today, Facebook tomorrow. You will drive yourself insane trying to put a presence everywhere. Remember when Michael Jordan played baseball? <laughs> well, now yeah, that was another story. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I, well, like I said, well, I'll say this real quick and we can get into Michael Jordan playing baseball. I mentioned yeah. Travis before. This was one of the big things that he started well before he blew up. He got specific. He said, I'm going to do everything on Instagram. This is where I have fun. This is a, this is where I'm having good times communicating with people and I'm getting my brand out there. So I'm going yep. to I'm going to put all my attention here instead of trying to be everywhere. And that's yep. another thing I feel a lot of us try to do is we if you have a team you know, bring Gary V back into the conversation, he's got a team. He can repurpose this. Con- he can make yeah. this content. His team can repurpose it and spit it out on every channel on the Internet. If you've got that at your disposal, great. Most of us in the solopreneur world don't have that type of bandwidth, time, energy, mm-hmm. find the network that you love and put your emphasis there. That is going yes. to allow you to enjoy the process, stay passionate about it, and find something that you will engage with yourself. That's very important. Yes, because yeah, then so. you don't have to willpower yourself into doing your consistencies. Exactly. You can just build a habit like you would build any other habit and then understand that you have that routine in place for days when you're not really feeling it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I freaking love that. You're a genius. All right, genius. (laughs) I brought you here today with so much glee to talk about something that my producer slash editor, Andrew Sims and I have been waiting for since the inception of this podcast. Oh my God. Jason, my brother in pasta, my paisan, my cousin, my lover of HBO and football, Vandalay, <laughs> imports and exports. What the <laughs> heck? 
does any of this gooey goodness about control and capabilities and serving and purpose and loving the process and going viral and hype, what does it have to do with black and white cookies and chocolate, Bob? Because what does it have to do with Seinfeld? If you want to talk about quality consistency, once they found their rhythm on that show, yep. every week was quality and it was consistent. You knew yep. they were, I mean, especially towards the end, the past, uh, the last probably three to four seasons, you knew you were going to get something so random and so ridiculous. <laughs> you just couldn't help but laugh your ass off and look at these situations saying, who does this happen to? And yeah. I mean, and I know in my love of Seinfeld and everything that went along with that show, I'd heard an interview with Jason Alexander saying oh. that at the beginning with some of the things he was doing, because that was Larry David. And that was yeah. the, like he was playing the Larry David character. He's like, who, who, who would this happen to? This makes no sense. And Larry, oh, it happened to me. And he could tell him the story. And that yeah. and he's Jason Alexander's like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm playing him. This is who my character is. And then they put it out there and everyone is like, I, George Costanza. Like, we all Spartacus about it. We're like, I'm George Costanza in this moment. Yes. I am Costanza-ing hardcore. But you're totally right in that my husband, I don't know how, got through his childhood without Seinfelding. I do not understand this as a human. Like, I have seen every episode of Seinfeld 652 times. So, like, Me I didn't too. get this. Yes. But he had it built up in his head that he wouldn't like it. I do not know how. And so I think due to the relentless badgering of my mother and I, we got Ryan to start watching Seinfeld. And just like you said, once he got it and once they found their rhythm, he was hooked. And so I had the experience of watching Seinfeld with someone watching it for the first time. And it was exactly what you said. Every single like every single episode of Seinfeld is a classic. And I caught myself doing this thing where like an episode would start. And within the very first second, I'd be like, it's this episode. This episode is the best. And I said that every single time. And it reminded me of when my favorite kid, when Big Hero 6 came out and I was watching him, I think he was about six at the time. And he was like, he kept saying to me, Annie, this is my favorite part. Watch, watch. This is my favorite part. Every single episode of Seinfeld is my favorite episode of Seinfeld, except for the last one, of which I do not speak. But um, that's right. That's mm. consistency. That's consistency over time. Absolutely. Right? And I mean, and you, if you go back to the very first episode, it wasn't that great. I mean, yeah. it really was. I mean, but I mean, it was also 80s television. The quality it was just good wasn't for a show what, about nothing, you know. Well, but yeah, but we I don't didn't even think know they really, what a show about nothing was. Well, they I don't think there was a lot of things clearly defined when that first episode came out. For one, it was called mm -hmm. the Seinfeld Chronicles. It was not called Seinfeld. Right. Kramer was still Kessler, which yep. was the character he's based on. They he called him Kessler when he comes in to tell him about the Mets game. So yep. there was a lot of holes in that. And I mean, it's a pilot, so I get it. There's obviously going to be things that change. I mean, the place where they went for coffee wasn't the same either. No. So things change, obviously, as they got picked up, they were able to make these improvements. But yeah, I think that when they first started, I, I they had a premise, but it really, it what it became is what makes it epic. Yeah. Because those initial episodes did follow more of a sitcom type of, type of flow, but mm -hmm. as it progressed and evolved, the, the just the random things that would be happening to each character 
some of them were interwoven somewhere else or sometimes it was always separate but it just got funnier and funnier as they found their rhythm and just found what people were responding to and as they owned the imperfection of these ridiculous characters like yeah yeah. And the normalcy of things like once they really bought on to the show about nothing, they showed us that anything can be funny. Anything can be funny. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, did you happen to watch and this is it, it's sort of off subject, but it, it, it's not at the same time. Nothing is really off subject on this weird ass podcast. On Curb Your Enthusiasm, they did the whole season based around the Seinfeld reunion. Yes. And the whole thing was based on the fact that they kept telling Larry David what we gave our fans was garbage and we need to do better. And that was really, I think what motivated them to come back and do this reunion episode. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel as strongly about the last episode as a lot of people do. It's the same thing as the Sopranos movie. It could not possibly live up to the hype. It's the entire last season of game of Thrones. Y'all when <laughs> fandom overhype shit, we have problems. Yeah. It can't. How are you going to take that show and wrap it up? Perfect. I, I don't I don't know how I would have done it. I couldn't have done it any better. I well, I look at it as it was an homage to the ridiculousness that they created. And it was this they had this way of not only are we going to be able to relive some of this ridiculousness, but we can get every character that was impacted because of this ridiculousness that's outside of the group of four back onto the show to make a cameo. Yeah. You're thinking they, they rolled in the soup Nazi and they rolled in Babu and Terry Hatcher and everybody's just popping up out of nowhere. And yeah, like to me, that was to, I'm like, that's it's about as well done as it could be. But it was a kind of a dumb premise. Like George's mom really went back and did services for the judge so they could get a reduced sentence. Are we to believe well, that's also, what like, just happened I here? I thought and I don't know why I was a kid. My dog was named Kramer at the time. So I was hardcore. <laughs> Um, but nice. I, well, yeah, I used to slide into rooms and I was like, oh, perfect. I thought they were going to come back at the end of their prison term. I thought they were just taking a break. Like I went into that conspiracy theory hole. So like four yeah. years later or whenever they were supposed to get out, I was like waiting for a new Seinfeld. And then mm -hmm. Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on a totally different show. And I was like, well, how is this going to work? Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, especially with, with that line of, you know, it's just a year. We'll be back in a year. Yeah. I remember yeah, because it. me and my friends had a party to, for, we were seniors in high school and we had a party for the final episode of Seinfeld. And that's what I, a few of us are like, okay, this is okay. It's only a year. They'll be back Thank in a year. Thank you. I'm so glad I wasn't <laughs> the only person who thought this. No, I'm like, they'll be back. Not. No, they yeah. will not be back. They will be back kind of in curb and that's it. But, yeah. but then also I think Seinfeld is the absolute perfect perfect example of this hope diamond crown jewels thing that we keep harping on because yes now every single individual episode of seinfeld is the best episode of seinfeld but it wasn't until we could see it as the combination of all of its parts because when you bring up one great episode of Seinfeld, the immediate thing that happens is that we don't really go deep into that episode. We're like, okay, but also like, I mean, and we could do this with any particular character. We could do this with George Costanza all day. Like I'd be like, okay, Vandalay. You'd be like, no, 
the underdesk. The underdesk bed is the best one when he has to hide. No, George inventing the Guggen or designing the Guggenheim. That's the best. No, okay, no. It's when he accidentally kills what's her butt. Like it, yeah. people will argue with you about what the best episode of Seinfeld is. Whereas, like you and I could talk about the same episode of The West Wing for an hour because it gives us so much. Seinfeld wasn't trying to deliver so much; it was trying to deliver so little strategically yeah. and beautifully. No learning, no hugging. Wasn't no that their, learning. That was their, no learning. They didn't want. Yeah, you, you weren't supposed to walk away from that having got taught a lesson. You were just no there for the ridiculousness and all the all the craziness that ensued. And I'm, I was there for it. That was enough for me. <laughs> You're just supposed to leave it, taking whatever the the sound bite of that episode was. I mean, my freaking outgoing voicemail was believe it or not, George isn't <laughs> at home for forever because that's what I took out of that thing. I wasn't profoundly moved by that episode. I was just like, yeah, come on. That's perfect. It's given us so many lines that can be interwoven into everyday conversation. Yes. You know, one of the, I mean, a big thing that I love to do now is, as I've seen it hundreds of times, but I'll still, when I go back and watch it, is to find how many appearances either Larry David himself physically or his voice pops up. Because yeah. in its way, especially in the earlier episodes, it was constant. Mm-hmm. Larry David was filling a lot of roles and, and saying a lot. Of, it was, and it's fun. It's just funny to go back and find these little Easter eggs and, and find out uh, if there's anything that I've missed as many times as I've seen it. There's still probably something that I haven't caught. Oh, there's still stuff, you know, or you focus on a different character. Like you could watch all of Seinfeld again and just focus on Newman. Sure. You could focus the entire time on Jerry Stiller. Like, Take a take a smaller character than the original four and zoom in on them. You will find so much goodness you didn't see because every single person on that show is freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that right? one of the one of the funnier things about Newman was in the beginning when they it was the Keith Hernandez episode and how they were <laughs> referencing JFK and the magic loogie. Newman plays the same role on JFK in the movie that he did on the show i always that parallel always just makes me laugh i'm like they have him in the exact same spot doing the exact same thing it's hilarious other than dropping his matt's baseball cap he's so good i think i think there's another business lesson in seinfeld about the importance of frenemies because you're gonna disagree with people but that doesn't mean you don't need them and love them absolutely i think jerry and newman love each other and their freneminess because otherwise who would they pick on yeah, I've, and you know Jerry's motive of of, of love of Superman. Yeah, he has to have an arch nemesis. Exactly. Who would make a better arch nemesis than Newman? No one. He is a hateable, adorable, hateable little monster. <laughs> right. And then about consistency. Do you remember the episode they redo Jerry's kitchen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they put in all of those big like islands and cabinets and stuff and nobody can handle it because they can't just walk in and like, but they all have different responses to the inconsistency of Jerry's kitchen. So Jerry's like, Oh, this is new. I don't love it, but I kind of like it. It's interesting. I could get used to this. And then George comes in and is like, what? I'm supposed to sit at a counter. I'm supposed to sit on the stool. Like Kramer can't get to the milk. Like it's like I'm selling movie tickets back here. Right. 
they all have different reactions to the inconsistency yeah. of the change that was thrust upon them. Don't do yeah. that with your reels. If we're used to Jerry's landscape, there is a freaking Lego set of that apartment set. Like yeah. if we're used to that, don't yep. change it up by putting in a bunch of cabinets that nobody asked for. That episode is so good. I mean, again, going into what you're saying, like, that 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 one's one of my just because I, I think of the lines that come from this stuff with Kramer walking mm-hmm. and going, oh man I'm on the wrong floor again <laughs> and George flipping out about the size of the hats like that whole scene when they all come into that apartment and they're so uncomfortable <laughs> is just classic television it's so good <sighs> but like you can't make something a classic if you don't allow the consistency to support that thing we can't have one good right. episode of television we can't right We've, no, we've all exactly. seen the show that had one really like a really good pilot that went nowhere. We've also all seen shows that I mean, Parks and Rec, the whole first season, notoriously not that great. See, I disagree. We, I disagree. What? I, I disagree. I I enjoy you the first like season. Of season Parks one. And, yes. Okay. Enjoy n- heavily enjoy. Like as much well, as it's not as good. I mean, yeah, every well, that was the thing that what I've always said. I'm here now on Parks and Rec, which was another one man. I was going to suggest we could talk about <laughs> with, along with The Office, but I figured Seinfeld will stay in that domain. Yeah, the Parks and Rec character development is probably better than any show, any Agreed. sitcom, because every Agreed. single one of those characters had an arc that was through the roof. Right. And you think and of how far felt, Ron Swanson really have an arc. They didn't. They well, it didn't wasn't even really, really grow. It was, I guess it was more of a plane. There was like yeah. a steady upward. Like you just kept falling more in love with these characters. And you think of where Chris Pratt started. He wasn't even supposed to be there beyond the first season. No. And they just realized they had gold and had to keep them. Ron Swanson was not Ron Swanson. Ugh, and now who Chris Pratt is now. I just want Andy in the pit back. I see Chris Pratt now and I'm like, Andy. Could you go back into the pit? Just go back into the pit, gain your weight back, undivorce Anna Ferris, like undo the last several years, Andy, get back in the pit. But no, you're right. Andy at the beginning, Andy at the end, totally different. April at the beginning, April at the end, totally different. Tom at the beginning, Tom at the end, same antics, right? Mr. Abs and Zerts is still the Abs and Zerts, (laughs) but after Entertainment 720, He's different. Well, and they, they all had that common thread of how Leslie Nope impacted them and set them yeah. on this path to growth and evolution and just getting better at what they do because it was the work ethic that they saw with her that yeah. whether they agreed with it or not was pushing them forward and making them realize that they had this good within themselves. So boy, are we getting super deep on parks and recreation? No, we're not, though, because this is really your point is still super Seinfeld interesting in that there's something to your greatest hits. However, because we are so used to character arcs now, I'm curious if Seinfeld, which still holds up and is still wonderful in every way, if a character, if a show of unlikable characters doing terrible, stupid things without learning anything would still have the same appeal because George Costanza is making George Costanza mistakes, episode one and episode 100. Yeah. Same mistakes. Jerry Seinfeld is making the same mistakes he's making in episode one as episode. Mm -hmm. Kramer has the same quirks. Elaine has the same quirks and she doesn't, she never learns how to dance. 
She dances terribly episode one. She dances terribly at the last episode. Like, it just happens. Also not true. What? When Jerry and Elaine take Deborah Messing. What was her? Oh, yeah. I forgot about Deborah Messing. When George breaks them up, when he makes that comment, David and like, yeah. why can't I remember? This is not cool. This is going to bug the me. Couple, the yeah. couple. That's the couple yeah. that isn't the couple. Yes. Yeah, but it. Okay, what the, is I'm gonna, damn name? I can't. I can't believe I can't remember this. But anyway, when he goes, when when George comes in and Jerry and Elaine are celebrating that they broke this up and they're and they're claiming the pieces for themselves, Elaine does a little dance and it looks normal. When Elaine gets the cactus and puts it on the table in the restaurant, she does a little dance and it looks normal. So these aren't. She always didn't just do. The goofy, right. the, the points and the the full body dry heave set to music, as George called it. You're right. She doesn't always just do the Benis. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that, though, so much. Oh, man. Also, Deborah Messing's character on Seinfeld was named Beth. Beth. God damn, was that bothering me? That was really good. That was a three o'clock in the morning. Wake up screaming. Beth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have went and looked it up as soon as we were done here. Oh, my God. Glad no, you but you're right. OK, I'm glad that you corrected me on that. Let it not be said that I don't allow myself to be corrected on my own podcast. You are right. She does do some better dancing. Right. But I still don't think that that's like a character arc. Well, no. So every now and then you got to change up your best 20 a bit. Mm hmm. You got to evolve your stuff a bit. Yeah. Well, okay. Just to, to put a bow on the Parks and Rec part or Parks and Rec conversation, I will say the first season, the show wouldn't have been the same without it. It was not as good as the other seasons, but no. it set the table and set the yeah. course for everything. Yeah. So without those seven episodes, again, everybody's character went a drastic right turn almost immediately into the second season. But yeah. those first seven episodes were telling you, Basically, we're going to get this pit filled in. It's going to become this park. That's our big goal that we're shooting for. And then everybody's character is going to get a little better because of it. So, yeah, I again, I, I was a fan. I like those characters. I, I thought more laid back Tom was hilarious when he's oh, hitting on Ann in this very laid back, like I'm married, but you know, I, you know, we're allowed to talk, right? Like things like that. Oh, I just thought it was great. Anyway. Oh, my God. Tom's entire <laughs> Mayor, oh, just oh, all right. I'll bring you back to talk about Parks and Rec because I've been waiting to talk about that one too. I could do an entire <laughs> episode about Little Sebastian and the lessons we can learn from that. I think we have to. I mean, I think we'd be doing a disservice to the Parks oh and Rec gosh. fans if we didn't do a full episode on Little Sebastian. That's true. All right. Well, got a couple more <laughs> Seinfeld based questions for you before we bring Let's you back for it. that one. So, there are so many businesses represented in Seinfeld. Of, of myriad types. I mean, there's corporate, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's executive power. Like when Elaine is writing for Peterman, any of these things, uh, the, what was it? The, uh, urban sombrero, right? We have, we have small businesses like the soup Nazi. We have obviously the cafe that they go to. We have, I already said made up Vandalay. Do you think that there is a particular business lesson that we should take positive or negative from any of the businesses represented on Seinfeld? If you have important information that you have used to build your enterprise, do not leave it in an antique armoire and then give that antique armoire away 
without getting your important information from it because that's going to screw up your business, especially if it falls into the wrong hands. <laughs> was that the answer you were looking for? I wasn't looking for anything, but that's a <laughs> damn good answer. All right, y'all. Try not to give your most cherished IP away as an accident. Protect your shit. Hold on to your shit. Keep track of it. You got gems in there, y'all. Just keep it together and and keep track of your shit. Think about the downfall that that one. I mean, because that's just a hilarious scenario. But that business was thriving and then it all went away. I also think that if possible, we should all have nap spaces attached to our workspaces. Yeah, that's a great thing as you know have a little shelf for your coffee mug and little alarm clock yeah we all sure need a costanza ticking. desk equivalent because overworking unlike george costanza if you're a small business owner you're probably overworked not underworked so if george is going to take big naps dang it so should we and then you can just go the other route and just look annoyed so everybody thinks you're always busy yep all right i got two more questions for you fire away my first question, we'll, we'll stay on the Costanza train because I feel like as a kid, I didn't really, and neither did Jason Alexander, right? He was like, why, why would anybody like this guy? Why is he doing this? What is he doing? I feel like as a kid, I was like, oh, George, he's so uncomfortable. And now as an adult, I'm like, we are all George Costanza. I'm George Costanza. You are George Costanza. We are all George Costanza. So uh, being all George Costanza, I read your bio at the very beginning of this show. But um, I would like you to just utterly, utterly lie. George Costanza was the lead architect behind the Guggenheim and, and did all of these really incredible things. So Jason, on, on top of all of the actually impressive stuff that you've done, let's start a rumor right here and now. What is a claim to fame that we're gonna, that we're just gonna start right now? I was the originator of the blueprint for Augusta National, where they play the Masters every year. Amazing. I designed that golf course with no help. I actually mowed all the greens all by myself as well, because I felt there was no one capable of, of reaching the level of perfection that I was looking for as I brought that golf course to life. So every year they play the most prestigious golf tournament at this course, and I did it. It's all me. So if you're watching the Masters, you can think about me. That is so totally small world ironic that that happened because I was the first person to hit a hole in one on that course. Get out of here. No way. That was you? Yes. Yes, that was me. There's a picture of me in the clubhouse next to the women's bathroom. Totes. What club did you use? Uh, I totally used a three wood. I thought you used your putter. No, God, no, I'm not that good. Well, there was a story that somebody hit their putter off the tee and got a hole in one. I think it was on hole 12. Uh, I think that would be Happy Gilmore. Oh, okay. I think his name was Happy Gilmore. That guy. But no, I used a three wood, like a responsible, respectful golfer, because I admire all the work that went into your course. There you go. Now we went from <laughs> Seinfeld to Parks and Rec to the Masters. With a detour into pasta, I could talk to you for freaking years. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I will absolutely have you back for a Parks and Rec chat, for a Sopranos chat, for whatever the heck you want to talk about. I don't care. We could do a whole episode about pasta. Doesn't matter. 
But Jason, what is the best way for our listeners to come into your world now that they love you as much as I do? Well, I got to say, Andy, this was an absolute blast hanging out with you and talking with everybody today. So if you are interested in a great podcast about branding, you can come check out Evolution of Brand. That's my show. You will be hearing Annie on there as well. At some (laughs) point in time, we're making this happen. And we don't typically get into the pop culture information. So this was a phenomenal escape for me to be able to just sit and geek out about some of my favorite TV (laughs) shows and movies and whatnot. And also go to jasonsircone.com slash podcast love. If you're looking to, for, for a great way to take your brand to the next level and you want to do so through the podcast waves, whether you start your own show or you just start being a guest on shows, either way works. Really just comes down to what your brand objectives are. And I would love to talk to you about how we can make that happen. Heck yeah. Well, these pretzels are making me thirsty. So I'm going to get a little water. Jason, thank you so much for being my guest today. Well, Annie, thank you again. And I will say for everyone listening out there, as you, if you've gotten to know me over the last hour, as you maybe go check out my website or join me on my podcast, you'll learn that if you take everything I've learned in my life and condense it down to one day, it looks decent. That was a good mic drop. Little Costanza at the end for everybody. I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week, which I'm going to try really hard not to just make a bunch of Seinfeld puns, but no promises, y'all. Well, hey there. I could wax on about Seinfeld for frickin' years, y'all. Like I mentioned in the episode, yes, my childhood dog was named Kramer. Yes, my entire family has seen every episode of Seinfeld at least a zillion times. And what's especially marvelous is we know we're going to watch them again and we'll love them just as much. And these episodes aren't flashy or dazzling or deeply emotionally provocative. No jaw-dropping feats occur or tense rising conflicts. Nope. Jerry forgets his girlfriend's name. George doesn't want to work at work. Kramer puts a hot tub in his apartment. Elaine gets her nails done. Normal people stuff. And yet, we treasure them because they're honest, simple, real, and hilarious. Unfiltered. Natural. Awkward AF. This week, your homework is to include a behind-the-scenes peek at your life in your social media or newsletter. You do not need to dance in a reel. I repeat, no dancing required, Benesses. But what aspect of your life would we not normally see that other folks could relate to? What everyday irritant can you solve or make light of? What day-to-day work task could be made more fun by including some other people in it? It's your normal, natural, real life, so the possibilities are endless. No props required. Resist the urge to try to be funny. Funny happens naturally enough if you don't force it. Instead, just be you. Perfect, flawed, zany, boring you. Who knows? You might even come up with a whole new tagline, or in George's case, a whole new path to fame and fortune without doing so much work. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. 
Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio and my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.